Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Today I want to talk about right proficiency. We've been looking at the Satipatthana method, the skill of skillfulness, a core teaching, which I maintain is widely overlooked in expositions of the Dhamma. Today, I hope to show that this method is the key to understanding right proficiency, Sati, the seventh factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. Again, Proficiency here is what almost everyone else calls mindfulness. It is sati in Pali. In proficiency, my intention is to return to the understanding that sati is a kind of memory. Everyone seems to have agreed on this before the 20th century. And to reassert that Buddhism is a practice tradition and is rooted in the idea of mastering the skill of practice. In these talks, we've managed to look at proficiency, sati itself, as well as its progressive Buddhist enhancements as proficiency comprehension, sati sampajanya, as the satipatthana method, proficiency attentiveness, and as the sati contemplative practice. We would hope right proficiency would correspond in the Buddhist context to one of these degrees of elaboration of the root concept, sati. I will suggest here that right proficiency is the application of the satipatthana method, proficiency attentiveness, to the other path practices. But to reach that conclusion, we must first look at the two primary ways in which right proficiency is defined in the early texts. The first is as something that circles around the other factors of the path. The second is as the four satipatthanas. First, we'll look at right proficiency circles around everything else. Let's begin by looking at how the Buddha incorporated the combination of right view right effort, and right proficiency as factors at work in virtually all of Buddhist practice. Right view is the forerunner. And how is right view the forerunner? One discerns wrong action as wrong action and right action as right action. One tries to abandon wrong action and to enter into right action. This is one's right effort. When remembers to abandon wrong action and to enter and remain in right action. This is one's right proficiency. Thus, these three qualities, right view, right effort, and right proficiency, 
run and circle around right action. This passage is stated verbatim for each of the first five factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right resolve, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. That is, for each of the wisdom and virtue practices. Understanding right proficiency in terms of the Satipatthana method makes perfect sense in this passage. Each path factor represents a dhammic skill that manifests itself in practice situations. Right proficiency is the intermediate factor between right view and right effort, between know-how and practice, between competence and performance for each of these dhammic skills. Right proficiency brings to mind those aspects of right view that are relevant to the practice situation, comprehends an appropriate response to that situation, and authorizes right effort to consummate the response comprehended by right proficiency. Moreover, right proficiency thereby develops and ultimately perfects its own function. If right cuisine were a path practice, our right view would be our cookbook, and right effort, the mixing, stirring, baking, and so on, that accomplishes the practice. Right proficiency would be the executive function between book and spoon that knows precisely what to do when and also gains an expertise as it fulfills its function. With attentiveness, the art of cuisine is gradually mastered. Likewise, in the practice of right action, right proficiency brings the five precepts to mind. Proficiency activating an aspect of right view. When the impulse arises to whack a pest or fabricate a whopper, comprehension evaluating the situation. Right effort follows up to avoid enacting that impulse. Without right proficiency, ethics might fail us at the crucial moment of action due to inattention to our values. A constant and well-developed attentive proficiency is necessary in making proper ethical choices as we find ourselves repeatedly in morally charged situations, weighing a constellation of factors such as our own motivations, our vows and commitments, the imperative to harmonize with others and do no harm, and our rough calculations of anticipated benefits for ourselves and for others. Ethical practice is a matter of problem-solving and of well-trained internalization as moral perception. Long training of proficiency in ethics develops a virtue that arises spontaneously without thought, having fully internalized the principles to turn what used to be a desire to be good or to be a good Buddhist into pure kindness with no more regard for the principles than a virtuoso pianist needs to keep musical theory in mind when playing a concerto. The path practices on which we gain proficiency 
fall under the categories of wisdom, right view and right resolve, and ethics, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. This puts the development bawana factors of right effort and right proficiency in a clearly defined relationship to the other path factors. The development practices uniformly serve auxiliary roles in enhancing the skillfulness with which the wisdom and ethical practices are performed. The remaining development factor, samadhi, also plays a critical auxiliary role here, one that is tightly aligned with right proficiency in support of non-distraction, internalization, integration, and insight, leading to the mastery of skillfulness. But samadhi will have to await my next group of talks. Next, let's look at the other definition of right proficiency in terms of the four satipatthanas. Right proficiency is alternatively defined in an oft-repeated formula as follows. And what bhikkhus is right proficiency? Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu dwells contemplating body in body, ardent, comprehending, proficient, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. This sentence is repeated as for body, also for feelings, mind, and dhammas, giving us the four satipatthanas. This is right proficiency. Though it cites the method, this appears to equate right proficiency specifically with the contemplative practice, rather than with the more general Satipatthana method of the previous definition. For instance, if right proficiency circles around right speech, then its role would now seem to be to contemplate right speech rather than to perform right speech more skillfully. The two definitions seem incongruous, especially given that among the many practice exercises found in the Satipatthana Sutta and other Satipatthana texts, none touches on right speech nor shows any interest in any other ethical practice. However, these two definitions can be reconciled if we interpret the reference to the four Satipatthanas in a well-attested alternative way. Definitions in the early texts are often definitions by example. For instance, the following defines perception. And why do you call it perception? It perceives. That's why it's called perception. And what does it perceive? It perceives blue, yellow, red, and white. It perceives. That's why it's called perception. Clearly, the four colors are merely representative and are implicitly understood to generalize to orange, green, birds' faces, tastes, harmonious sounds, the moon, and so on. These also fall under perception. I propose that the definition of right proficiency in terms of the four satipatthanas 
is similarly a definition by example, one that is implicitly generalized to the application of the Satipatthana method to other Buddhist practices as well. In fact, the fourfold contemplative practice should be particularly emblematic of proficiency attentiveness and therefore of right proficiency. This particular practice is utterly dependent on the method. The method is even part of the practice instructions. This particular practice provides optimal conditions for the full arising of the four factors of the method, ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and non-distractedness. And since the practice is contemplative and introspective, the functioning of the method is generally open to immediate inspection in this particular practice and is even included as the theme of one of its practice exercises, contemplation of the seven awakening factors. Even though the method is broadly applied throughout Buddhist practice, never is it as successfully applied and so vividly apparent as when one is sitting secluded under a tree in meditation posture. These same conditions that make this contemplative practice emblematic for right proficiency also explain why the term Satipatthana migrated from the Satipatthana method to the Satipatthana practice. This migration is so complete that it is rare for the term Satipatthana ever to refer directly to its method, even though that is where the literal meaning of the term is actually found. A contributing factor for the loss of the method's rightful name is probably the availability of the similar, largely equivalent term Satisampajanya, proficiency comprehension, to refer to the method. This migration is also so complete that there seems to be only one instance in the Pali suttas in which the word Satipatthana ever refers to a practice other than the fourfold contemplation. In the Majjhima Nikaya, the Buddha describes himself as practicing the three Satipatthanas, but in this case, his task is to teach the Dhamma to his disciples out of compassion under three alternative conditions. His disciples will not give ear and exert their minds to understand. Some of his disciples will give ear and exert their minds to understand. And all of his disciples will give ear and exert their minds to understand. Here the practice is teaching rather than contemplating Dhamma, but certainly the application of the common Satipatthana method is what connects the two identically named practices. I conclude that right proficiency is the application to right everything else of the Satipatthana method, proficiency attentiveness. Let me make some conclusions to this series of four talks on the Satipatthana method. 
We began this exploration by catching the thread of a foundational teaching in the introduction to the Satipatthana Sutta, which we recognized as describing an, a kind of art of skillfulness, potentially of general applicability. We found that this fit the etymology of compounds made from the root sati and the structure of early Buddhist thought. In this way, we recognize this teaching in Satipatthana self and sati sampajanya and ultimately in samasati, the seventh factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. We found that this teaching finds natural support in what we know about human cognition, and it provides a coherent, explanatory, and functional account of what the early texts tell us about sati. This has been about skill in practice and development of proficiency. Buddhism is a practice tradition concerned with learning, mastering, and eventually becoming a virtuoso in the skill of life, we might say. The thought world of Buddhism is accordingly organized around skill in practice, around action, kamma, both skillful, kusala, and unskillful, akusala, around competence, pariyati, and performance, patipati, around development, bhavana, and cultivation, bahulikata, of proficiency. Those firmly on the path are in training, sekka, and those who have mastered it are beyond training, asekka. The similes of Buddhism draw repeatedly from music, crafts, and professional life. Right proficiency is right at the center of skill and practice. It is where Dhamma meets practice. It optimizes and masters skillfulness through the development and cultivation of attentiveness. It is present in the range of wisdom and ethics practices, and its own development is a practice in itself, honed as it is applied even in non-Buddhists, arts and crafts, by Sanjuro and others. The goal of Buddhist practice is virtuosity, cultivated through learning the scores and chords of Dhamma until we perform brilliantly with the Buddha's hands, responsibly and spontaneously in each moment as an embodiment of wisdom and virtue. With this, I conclude these talks on the Satipatthana Method. I've also finished my paper on this topic as part of the project of Rethinking Satipatthana. Next week, I will begin talking about Samadhi, the Buddhist meditative state, which, it turns out, arises wherever the Satipatthana Method or Right Proficiency is successfully applied. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sitigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.